is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is February the 12th, 2023. I'm talking to you from San Francisco. A significant day in American history. For those who don't know, uh, February 12th was Abraham Lincoln's birthday. He was born in 1809 in Hodgenville uh, in Kentucky. Hodgenville, Hodgen's Mill, not uh, a particularly well-known place, of course, apart from being uh, Lincoln's birthplace. Um, and it's been a date that's been celebrated over the years. Back in 1915, for example, on uh, February 12th, the cornerstone of the Lincoln Memorial was laying in Washington, D.C. But uh, these days, a lot of people don't recognize it. Um, the National Constitutional Center reminds us that um, only a very small number of states observe the day as a paid holiday. And according to the National uh, Constitutional Center, uh, Abraham Lincoln lost his birthday holiday. I'm not sure if that's the right way of putting it. One man who's obsessed, shall we say, with Abraham Lincoln is my guest today, John Cribb. Uh, he's the author of a new novel, Rail Splitter. And as he says in his biography, uh, Lincoln has obsessed him throughout his life. Uh, he's known not just as the author of The Rail Splitter, but also o Old Abe, uh, a very well-received novel about uh, Abe's last five years of life. Uh, John is joining us from uh, Tallahassee in Florida. So, John, um, in America, everyone has an axe to grind. Everyone feels they've been treated unfairly. Did uh, or has Abraham Lincoln lost his birthday to this generic President's Day that's replaced it, that will be celebrated in America next week uh, uh, on February the 20th? I guess in some ways, yes. Um, I think probably uh, as recently as when I was growing up, more people knew that February 12th was his birthday. I think Washington, you know, may have suffered the same fate in some ways that February 22nd isn't remembered quite so much as his birthday as simply the generic President's Day. Um, but uh, I think remembering the specific day of his birthday is less important than uh, remembering the man and, and you know, uh, celebrating his life. Uh, well, so that's why we got you on the show, John, yeah, to remember the man and celebrate his life. One of the most remarkable Americans, uh, perhaps the most remarkable American, certainly American president in its history. Um, tell us a little bit about why you, you're, you've spent your life being obsessed with this man. Well, you know, my interest in him goes way back to when I was really very young. And uh, my mom, you know, did what I guess... Uh, parents should do. I guess uh, she read to me and my brother and sister when we were very young, even before we you know, could read ourselves. And one of the books I remember her uh, reading was a book called Abe Lincoln Frontier Boy by Augusta Stevenson. And those stories of Lincoln growing up on the frontier and living in a log cabin and splitting you know, wood for fires and all that kind of that just really grabbed my imagination. Uh, so I've been interested in him uh, for a long time. Um, but I really, I, these books, The Rail Spur and Old Day, I wrote uh, to really try to bring Lincoln alive uh, for readers. 
And as, as you yeah, know, it's interesting. Um, you know, we had a show with David Reynolds. He's written this magisterial biography of, of Abraham Lincoln, a yeah. big prize winning book. Um, and in the New York Times, um, the headline, which they like the book, Searching for the Real Abraham Lincoln. Did you decide that getting to the real Abraham Lincoln required you to become a novelist rather than a historian? Yeah, to do it in the way I, I wanted to do it, yes. Uh, there, there have been, as you know, thousands of books written about Lincoln, and the Reynolds book is, is a really great uh, nonfiction biography. Um, they say more books written about Lincoln than anybody in history except Jesus Christ. That may be true. I don't know. Um, comparatively few novels, su surprisingly. Um, and as I say, I really wanted to try to bring Lincoln to life. And fiction can do that way in ways that nonfiction can't, as we know. Um, and so, I've, but I really tried to make these both these novels as accurate as possible. This is not Lincoln, you know, chasing vampires or killing zombies or anything. This is, uh, I, I think, the, the real Lincoln or my take on him. And as historically accurate as I could make it. And I've spent many years, you know, researching and, and studying his life and times to, to bring these uh, works to, to fruition. Yeah, it's interesting that you you know that not that many novels have been written about him. I wonder if that's because his real life has a fictional quality, which you, of course, deal with in both your books, uh, particularly in this one, about how this man born in a log cabin became not just American president, but perhaps America's greatest and most famous distinguished uh, president, certainly most written about president, and as you say, the most written about man in history apart from Jesus Christ. So it's hard. A any, any fictional thing uh, sort of gets readers saying, well, I don't, this couldn't happen, when of course it did. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. His life is so extraordinary. In a lot of ways, his life before the White House is the most extraordinary, fascinating uh, part. I mean, it's really a, a life of adventure and it is a rags to riches story. And, you know, it's a great uh, love story along the way. Uh, I mean, I had the advantage of really not, I didn't have to make up a plot or, or characters. That was all there for me. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think their fiction, as I, you know, we can bring people to life in ways that nonfiction can, as, as I said. And doing it as a novel uh, allows you to spend a little bit more time on events and moments that nonfiction biographies generally don't cover. If they do cover it, they, they gloss over it pretty quickly. Um, just as, a, as an example, I mean, in both the novels, uh, the, the deaths of the Lincoln's two sons, Eddie in Springfield in 1850, and then Willie in uh, February of 1862 in the White House. Uh, and a lot of really fine nonfiction biographies, you won't get more than a paragraph or two on that. Um, you know, in, in my novels, I spend much more time on than that. And those were obviously, um, you know, life-changing events uh, for the Lincolns. So that's that's the kind of... Although, to be fair... Um uh, I just finished Amity Schles's biography, excellent biography of Calvin Coolidge. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she spends quite a lot of time on the death of, of Coolidge's son. And of course, yep. Coolidge joined Lincoln in that nightmarish uh, experience. So yep. I, I assume some of the some of the biographies deal with it. Correct. I mean, you're John, you're you're an American conservative. You uh, you co-wrote the American Patriots Almanac with William J. Bennett. Um, Lincoln is, of course, iconic in American history, but particularly amongst, I'm not sure American conservatives, certainly American Republicans. Did you feel as, or do you feel as a fiction writer, you had to wear 
gloves around him. I mean, you didn't want to have scenes describing his sex life or, uh, you know, when he went to the bathroom or something. Did you, did you have, have you as a novelist shown him sufficient respect, do you think? And do you think you can show him a little bit too much respect? I hope not. I don't have scenes showing him going to the bathroom. That's just not me to, to write about that. Um, or, or the sex life. I mean, I just chose to deal uh, with other, you know, other parts of his life. Um, do I show him too much respect? I, I hope not. I do really admire him uh, as a, as a great man. And I think that, uh, you know, I think if anything, there's a tendency uh, in modern times, at least modern day America to knock heroes off their, their pedestals. Uh, off. Certainly. And so, you know, if, if there's a, the balance between, you know, cursing the darkness and lighting a candle, maybe this is more in the lighting the candle uh, category. Um, so what makes him, John, so great? He was a man of enormous honor and humor, a sense of history, bravery, but he wasn't perfect. And, and I think he certainly recognized that, you know, warts and all with Abe. Right. What in your mind makes him such a great man or made him such a great man? I think in the end, it was a, a basket of, I'm going to use an old fashioned word here, virtues uh, that he developed over time uh, that really made him not only, you know, admired by generations of Americans, but did in fact make him the great man that he was. Uh, virtues like, you know, perseverance. I mean, he really was a model of perseverance in a lot of ways and, um, you know, hard work uh, and self-reliance. These are virtues he learned growing up on the frontier where, you know, if you didn't if you didn't work hard, you weren't going to make it, maybe not even survive. Um, and so I think that basket of, of virtues, those and others, really but, made uh, him You know, I mean, you could describe many other Americans, including <laughs> more controversial ones like Andrew Jackson in, 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 with that language of self-perseverance. Yeah. What about his honor, his sense of justice? Yeah. I think he was a man of, of, of great honor and had a lot of integrity. Uh, I'm not going to tell you he never told a lie. I mean, he was a human being. But I mean, he got that that nickname Honest Abe pretty early on uh, in his, uh, you know, in his life. Uh, people first just started applying it to him, I think, as early as uh, when he was a young man living in New Salem, Illinois, out on the frontier. And then they applied it to him when he was an attorney um, in Springfield. And he did have a reputation for really wanting to treat his clients uh, you know, as, as fairly as he could. And there are lots of uh, stories about that. So um, I think, and I think that he was known as a man of integrity in the White House, not by everybody. I mean, there's some people that hated his guts, as you know, both both the North and South. Um, but I think by and large, even, even people who, when he was president, the war was going badly, viewed him as just out of his league. And, you know, maybe a rube from the prairies did, was bumbling along to know what he was doing. There was a sense that he was a good man. And that I think was important for the Northern cause because you, you know, if you, if you feel like your leader is a good man, then it helps you feel like your cause at bottom is a, is a good, decent cause. But at the time, I mean, Americans have often thought of their leaders as good men. Um, Americans looked at Harding as a good man. He turned out not to be so good. Um, what about this? And, and this is of course the title of the book, uh, the rail splitter. Um, it, this was the name that people gave him. 
in an extraordinary live. Here's a a page uh, from the National Museum of American History focused on Lincoln's wedge, the genuine genuine rail. Was he great as a rail splitter, as the man able to uh, put an a needle through the eye of the American Republic successfully. No one else seems to have managed to do that then or since perhaps. Yeah, I think so. I think he was. And, and he, I, you know, he really did split thousands of rails out on the, out on the frontier. Um, and the Republicans of course seized on that nickname when they ran him for the. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that and why you chose it as a title and, and the importance both then and now of, of the title, the rail splitter. Yeah, well, he, I mean, that's what he just did a lot of. He, he wrote uh, in one of the very few biographical sketches that he ever, you know, put pen to paper on that he said his father, my father put an axe in my hand when I was about eight years old and I was almost constantly handling that most useful instrument until I was 23, he said. Uh, and he uh, split, uh, as I say, thousands of rails. They would take a log and they would use an axe and a, and a, a wedge and a maul and split that log into eight parts to make fence rails uh, for split rail fences out on the frontier. And uh, there, when he ran for the, when he started running for president, uh, there's a great story, which actually old Abe opens with uh, in the Republican convention at Decatur, Illinois in May of 1860, when the Republicans cho- named him as the person they'd like to see as the, the Republican nominee. Um, he's standing up at the front of the room on a stage and they've, the Republicans have gone out and they've gotten their uh, Lincoln's, cousin john hanks who was a, actually a democrat but they'd gone to him and said can you help us find some of these rails that you got split on the frontier so he took them out you know out in the woods and they've located a couple of these old rails and they 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 use it to hold up a, a banner that says uh, abe lincoln the rail candidate for president and they they string the banner between these two rails and they come marching up to the front of the hall uh, holding this banner so he ran basically with a couple of nicknames uh one was the rail splitter candidate uh, meaning that, you know, to show that he was a man of the people and then that honest a uh, moniker. He also the Republicans attached that to him uh, to show that he was going to be a, a politician people could trust. In the novel, of course, you have the license in fictional terms to address issues that perhaps historians haven't quite uh, proved one way or the other. Are there are there episodes, incidents in Lincoln's life that you deal with in in the rail splitter that historians are disagree disagree on that you just for one reason or other have chosen to represent in a certain way yeah yeah um i just a couple examples that just leap to mind because that's right you know lincoln a lot of the lincoln history is is based on recollections that people gave you know decades later especially when you deal with the early part of his life. So a lot of times, and this, this is true with, with nonfiction history too, historians just have to just to settle on one account or the other as to one that they trust. Uh, so for example, uh, the story of Lincoln and Ann Rutledge, uh, who was a young lady uh, living in this little frontier village of New Salem, where Lincoln lives almost six years in New Salem as a, as a young man. And um, there was definitely uh, a, 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 uh, some sort of uh, romance between them, I think. But there's been, you know, disagreement with among historians over the years as to how far it went and whether they were actually formally engaged, uh, that kind of thing. Um, just in looking at, at the evidence that I saw, I think that they they were engaged. And and Lincoln, this, when she died, uh, she died of a fever. 
I think is one of the two times in his life where you can really say he, he tailspins into what you would call full-blown depression. Um, so there's episodes like that. Um, there's a early on, there's a famous uh, episode as a true, true story where he, he gets to New Salem and he's uh, challenged. There's a gang of local rowdies named the new uh, Clary's Grove boys. And they size this newcomer up and they challenge him to a wrestling match. They challenge him to wrestle the village champion, uh, Jack Armstrong. And Lincoln steps up to the challenge because he knows that if he doesn't take it, they're going to call him a coward. And uh, so he, people come from miles around to see this wrestling match. Uh, among the eyewitness accounts, there's disagreement as how, you know, who, who even won the match. Um, really, though, the important thing was how he handled it. So the, the way I, I tell the story, you know, I had to choose how exactly it comes out, who's, who wins. Um, and, and so, as you say, in fiction, I have the luxury of, of choosing a narrative. And of course, in fiction, you'd also have the luxury of imagining what would have happened had he not been assassinated. Maybe that would be a, a third in your trilogy on, on, on Lincoln. Um, with Reynolds, we talked about the tragic failure of Reconstruction. Had he lived, I know this is a hard question, John, but I can still ask it to you, especially on Lincoln's birthday. Had he lived, I assume that the whole history of Reconstruction um, and the whole history of race, in fact, in America would have been completely different had he, had he lived another four or eight years in office. What's your take on that? I think perhaps so. I mean, I, I would like to think so. Um, because I'm, I'm one of those people that believes that, uh, that, that when it comes to history, sometimes, you know, one person can make a difference uh, in a turning of, of history. And uh, Lincoln, you know, he had an enormous amount of political capital uh, built up at the end of the, of the war. Uh, and, you know, he, he desperately wanted uh, to, to put the country back together in a, a good way. He did not be, want to be remembered as someone who could win the war, but then not really restore the Union. Um, so there have been historians who have, have theorized that if he had lived, lived Reconstruction, which is a horrible time, uh, would have gone more smoothly. On the other hand, you know, there's the theory that uh, it was going to be bad no matter what. There were there were people in the South who were, you know, their attitude was, well, you may have won on the battlefield, but we, things are still not changing. And they, they were just going to make it very difficult uh, to do anything to but go back to way the way, the way things had been. Uh, and that, you know, president's second terms are often not as uh, good as their their first terms. Right? Well, there wasn't a conventional presidency by any means. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe for Lincoln's sake of his legacy, you know, maybe it's better he never had that second term. Who knows? Uh, I would like to think that it would have gone better because, as I say, Reconstruction was just a, was just a terrible time in this nation's history. Martin Luther King, of course, has his own day, quite rightly, in my view. Right. When it comes to race, of course, and the issue, I mean, it was a war about slavery and race. What's your take on this raging debate about Lincoln and race and racism? How should we think of him? He wasn't typical. I mean, always the, the cop out for people is, well, everyone thought like that back in the middle of the 19th century. How would you address Lincoln on race and uh, the history of African-Americans? Well, um, I, I'm not sure it's so much of a cop-out as to remind people that, you know, it is a mistake to look at historical figures through the lens, to, let's put it this way, to judge them through the lens of, uh, of modern-day uh, mores and standards. Uh, 
Um, historians call that presentism. Um, yeah, I don't think he'd be a big fan, certainly, of critical racial theory. Yeah, well, no, yeah, he, he would. I don't suppose not. you are, I'm, I, nor am I, actually, as it happens. I'm not, and uh, I, I'll actually remember your podcast with David Reynolds. Uh, it was maybe a year or two ago, I guess. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I remember you started out by saying, well, if there's one thing all Americans can agree on, even these divided times, is that Abraham Lincoln was a great man. Well, maybe not, you know, two, two or three years later, because um, he is under attack in some quarters. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, I just I disagree with it. I think I think that you, you it's you have to you do want to people look at people at warts and all. And he certainly was not perfect. And he, you know, Lincoln and some of the things he said and some of his views today, we would say that's that's racist. Um, you know, he he, for example, said at one point, he said, I don't envision that blacks and whites will ever have full social equality. Um, on the other hand, for his times. Well, what was, does that actually mean? Full social? You mean that they wouldn't marry? They wouldn't have each other over for dinner? Well, yeah, I think I think he, he meant that there would always yeah, maybe those kinds of things. He didn't elaborate. Um, and it, did he have started, any black friends? Yes, uh -huh. he there. Yes, he did. Um, I mean, he knew a lot of blacks. I think not in the sense of of uh, friends on the same you know the same way he had white friends. Again, he lived in a different time, but he knew black people. He was friends with them. You know, he dealt with them. He helped them. Uh, there's a, for example, a story in the Rail Splitter uh, that I tell. It's a true story of a black woman living in Springfield named Polly Shelby. And her, her son uh, had uh, taken a job on a steamboat, gone down to New Orleans as a, as a you know, cabin waiter. And he went ashore, forgot to take his free papers with him, and they threw him into jail. And she came to see Lincoln and said, can you help me? And he said, absolutely. And, and you know, worked very hard to get him out of jail because they were going to sell him into slavery. Um, and so this is the kind of man and, and, and what he did. So you know, I, I think that the, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a, a show on Disney that uh, it's called Proud Family. It's a remake of an older one. And no, I haven't seen it. They just have an episode uh, that um, I watched uh, a couple of days ago that, you know, it troubles me a lot because the, the students, uh, they, um, the, they, they say, well, Lincoln didn't care about uh, freeing uh, freeing the enslaved people and their teacher says not only that he wanted to deport us all and then they, they say he you know he he didn't really free us and these are distortions of uh, of history and um, so I mean I, I think these kind of attacks on Lincoln it's one thing to look at people warts and all and say look he was a man of his times and he um, you know he wasn't he wasn't perfect by any standards but I think you have to look at people in the totality of their lives and their actions. And Lincoln, you know, led the effort to hold our country together when it was literally falling apart. He uh, led the effort to save our founding principles when a lot of people were ready to throw them out, out the window. And he helped lead the effort as one of the principal leaders of the effort to free millions of enslaved Americans. It's a it's a pretty good record. I wouldn't want to put mine up against it. Um, you, as I said, you're a conservative, a proud one. You, you have a couple of lovely uh, blurbs on old Abe from distinguished conservatives. One from Mike Pence, former VP and vice president, who's in the news these days. Another from William Bennett. You co-authored uh, the American Patriots Almanac with Bennett. Um, 
what can American conservatives, uh, particularly, I mean, I don't know Donald Trump, whether he can learn anything from anyone, but um, uh, uh, should should the Republican Party and American conservatives more broadly, can they learn more from Lincoln in these divisive times? I mean, I've always, I, I don't believe that America has ever existed when it wasn't divisive. I don't think yeah. it's probably in some ways any more divisive now than it was, you know, 20, 50, 100 years ago. But what what can America in twenty in the twenty twenties, given its divisiveness and given the way in which some Republican leaders, not leaving Trump because he's exceptionally divisive on so many fronts, but somebody like DeSantis, who clearly will be running on a on a divisive platform, what can they learn from Lincoln? Well, I think I don't know that Republicans learn anything more than anybody else. Can. I mean, I think you're all, a Republican, so you can you can talk yeah. to your own church. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, I would I would say uh, that Republicans from Lincoln. Um, well, again, I mean, I think it's not just not any different from anybody else. But, well, I'll let you I'll after after you answer that, you can answer what Dems can can learn from Lincoln. But let's focus on the Republicans first. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that with with Lincoln, you know, it's always to me with Lincoln, it was always about union um, and that we're all in this together. And I think that's something that that people on both sides of the aisle, I think, do remember. But I mean, Republicans can can learn from that um, because Lincoln, you know, from the beginning to the end, he was all about uh, about about union. Do you think that he might be turning in his grave, perhaps even spinning in his grave, if he was to listen to some of the more culturally divisive rhetoric of somebody like DeSantis? Well, no, I think I think Lincoln, if he came back today, I, you know, as you say, things were more divided then probably than they are now. It's, uh, and I think if Lincoln came back today, I think he would be amazed at how far we've come in a lot of ways. If he came back today, though, he'd probably be a Democrat, wouldn't he? It's hard to imagine him in today's Republican Party. Well, no, I, I, I'll disagree with you there. I mean, I think he was a Republican and uh, for no other reason, because Lincoln was a uh, he was a partisan and, you know, he was a Whig for most of his life and uh, didn't want to, you know, he, he, he stayed a Whig as long as he could. Uh, he was a party man. So, so uh, who, who's closest to him now, uh, Romney, within the Republican Party? Pence, uh, you're, you're, you, you know Pence, Bennett. Is Bennett still alive, by the way? Yeah, yeah, he's alive and kicking. He, um, he, uh, he's, he's still doing his thing. Um, as a matter of fact, I talked to him the other day. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I mean, Pence, I think it's, you know, uh, he's, he, he loves Lincoln. Um, and I don't know Mike Pence well. Um, but he did, as you mentioned, he called me because he had read. Uh, well, that's really nice. I mean, so you didn't know him. He'd read the book. What do you think? I mean, I got to ask you this. I know it's a dumb question, John. But what 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 would Lincoln have thought of Trump? I don't know what he would have thought of Trump. Um, I, I really don't know. Is that your polite think, way of not of avoiding the question. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't. That's kind of kind of. Really well, there are equivalents. I mean, in in his age, to yeah, these sort of carnival barking types of characters yeah but they're also you know on the other hand they're equivalents i mean you know 
Donald Trump, he'd like to compare himself to Lincoln, as did Barack Obama. Everybody wants to compare themselves to Lincoln. Everyone right? does, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, you know, I'm, there are some similarities. I'm not talking about between the men themselves necessarily, but the times, you know, they're both Republicans. They were both outsiders. They were both, you know, attacked by the, the press uh, pretty incessantly. Uh, both their wives were, were, you know, the press wasn't too fond of either of their, their wives. Um, they, they both in their ways were, uh, in their own ways were geniuses about getting around the press, you know, Trump with Twitter and uh, Lincoln was a master at, uh, you know, kind of manipulating the press, you know, getting things in the press. I mean, one reason the Gettysburg address was so short was that he knew that if he kept it two minutes and he, it was supposed to be a short address. He was, he was invited to give only a short address, but he, he knew if he kept it to two minutes that it would be reprinted in full all over the country because it would fit, you know, right into a, a newspaper column. So he was a, a genius at, at manipulating the, the, uh, with the cutting edge technology of his time. So, um, you know, there, there are actually, you know, similarities uh, there, too, which are just always interesting. interesting. So, um, and finally, and I, you, you mentioned what, what the Republican Party could learn from Lincoln. Uh, what about the, the Democrats? What do you think they could learn from him? Um, I, I'm going to say this, the, the same thing, that, that you know, union, and, us, and, and also, and the Republicans, too, on this, um, this point, um, you know, Lincoln was all about the Declaration of Independence. That was his favorite founding document. Um, and he went back to that again and again, those, those principles that America is supposed to be about, uh, that we're all created equal and all have the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. I think both parties, you know, as, as long as they keep those principles in mind, I know there's disagreements about how to get there, but as long as they keep those principles in mind or serious about them, that this, this country will be okay.